had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. I'm in love with Could you. make me be true. Snap out of it. Could make me be true. The magnificence that comes out of your eyes and your voice and the way you stand there and the way you walk. You're lit from within, Tracy. It had to be you, wonderful you. It had to be you. Hello, romantics. Welcome to A Pot to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather, and you know what? We're celebrating Christmas in June with a very uh, exciting episode uh, talking about an amazing movie that I think uh, is one of my favorite queer movies of the last decade or so, um, if not all time. And uh, joining me to talk about the film is uh, Molly Raspberry, a freelance film critic. Hello. Welcome to the Hello. podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm so, so glad you're here. and I'm so glad that you picked this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you like to introduce the film for us? All right. So released in 2015, it is the adaptation of Patricia Highsmith's infamous novel, The Price of Salt, retitled Carol, starring Rooney, Mar- Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett and directed by Todd Haynes and and adapted to the screen with a with a screenplay by Phyllis Nagy, who also directed the film Call Jane, which was pretty good, which I recommend. And it's about about this young young burgeoning woman woman Therese Belafet falling in love for the first time, and it's her coming of age story and falling in love with Carol Eyre, the older, more sophisticated richer woman woman who has this sort of grace kelly flair which yes i can totally i totally get why she would fall for her because i do too i feel like (laughs) all all queer girls fall in love with kate blanchett we all love her yes yes (laughs) yes um i mean queer boys too like she's just oh yeah true exactly (laughs) exactly she is one of those just iconoclasts that that all the queers enjoy all of us love her Honestly, um, all the gays. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, Carol is just Carol. Like, I can't. Sometimes it's hard for me to talk about this movie because it's just Carol is Carol. Like, it's just yes. like it's it, it's a league of it's in a league of its own. It's a modern classic. It's you know, I think uh, I think I told you this when we were talking about you know playing the episode. Like, I watch this movie every Christmas season. Yeah, um, and because uh, to me, it's. It's I mean, it's a beautiful film in every mm-hmm. definition of the word. Uh, but do you remember the first time you saw the film and kind of what was your reaction or your initial impressions that first time? I first saw it after I just graduated undergrad and I was starting to work at the movie theater it was playing at. And it was January because I'm not in New York or LA where <laughs> it was unfortunately not. So where they got it during Christmas time, the perfect time. So all of us get the Christmas movies like that in January. And I just fell in love with it. And I was just spellbound and it was, and I was going, and I watched it twice in the theaters. I remember, well, as long as it was there before it got pushed out 
again by Star Wars Force Awakens. I believe that was what that was. So that made me yeah. upset, but but I would keep telling people when I was working at the movie theater, just like go see Carol, you're gonna like this movie. You're really gonna like this movie. And it's just especially when I was still coming to terms with my sexuality, I saw myself in Therese and I saw myself just I could see myself falling falling for this for this type of woman like Carol is. And you see this and it's also so rare to see a lesbian a queer film in general and not just take not just taking place in the 1950s but also having kind of a conventionally closest thing to a conventionally happy ending for them yeah yeah. for them because i remember films like boys don't cry and i and brookback mountain was still very fresh in my mind that had these very downer endings and they and because it's these star-crossed lovers they basically are and having to cope with that and there are actually a bunch of critics i well a few critics who were not happy with that they thought they should have been punished by the end or there was one gay critic who was angry because they couldn't understand he couldn't understand why kate blanchett would would leave her husband friday night lights husband for for rooney mara it's like (laughs) That relationship was already over, and also because she's gay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Um, I, I, I need to go find that review. That's really funny. I know, I know. She was just uh, like, I just can't believe it. Harsh is just so hot. Why would she leave him? Like, dude, you're gay. Understand it. <laughs> I think you would understand. He's like, nah, he's too pretty. <laughs> to me, that's like asking why Greg Kinnear stays or no uh, Dennis Quaid doesn't stay married to Julianne Moore I'm like yes Julianne Moore is perfect we love her but he's gay he doesn't want exactly. to he does not want to be in far from heaven I should say I know um, <laughs> and, and just man like, that's but... really yeah that's oh man that's that's so oh. funny um yeah and I think Todd Hayes speak it up with far from heaven I think yeah. he is basically he is the basically the perfect mix of the styles of Douglas Sirk and mm-hmm. Rainer Warner Fossbinder. Yeah. And that's just that perfect. He's bringing melodrama back. And I miss those melodramas, those dramatic melodramas. And it's so refreshing to see a director still getting work and doing that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I mean, I was a big, big fan of Far From Heaven yeah in high school and college like that was one mm. of those like on the rotation watch it all the time um and i had seen the velvet goldmine and mm. i'm not there which i also love um and yes. um and so carol was just like it was like it was like the movie of the moment you know yes i i was i i was living in new york at the time and mm-hmm. i remember i'm pretty sure i saw it opening weekend and I remember exactly because my friend was having like this like boozy brunch thing for her birthday. And I was like, there's a showing of Carol at like nine or nine thirty in the morning. I'm gonna go see Carol and I'll go see my friends yes. because I wanted to see it opening weekend, but I didn't want to like plan to see it in the evening and then not be able to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, let me just go because the restaurant was like right by the theater. And I was like, this is perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna go. 
And I remember, I remember sitting in sitting at brunch with my friends, being like, I just don't know how to like, like, how do I like interact with people <laughs> after watching <laughs> this like intense film uh, yes. that you know was just so like overwhelming. And I I feel like I didn't really even know how to react to Carol because it's so different than what mm-hmm. you might think it would be. Like, mm-hmm. it's not it's not like stuffy. It doesn't have a sad ending. It's no. not like it's very radical like it it doesn't follow a very like conventional plot structure mm, which yeah. is not something i appreciated until like much later mm-hmm. and i was just like i don't know and i'm telling everyone that you have to see this movie and i uh, like similar to you where i'm like just go see it like it's one of a kind experience and mm. but do you remember or maybe this is just my experience like the, the critics I was following but there was kind of this like mixed positive reaction to Carol at first I I feel like there was a reaction that was kind of like it's good typically it's good but you know it's not Tana Haynes' best movie it's kind of just like mm-hmm. your typical Kate Blanchett performance like I remember reading that she was doing the same performance that she does in like Blue Jasmine which she had just won the Oscar for yeah. which is insane to me because I think the two performances are totally different oh they but, are um, <laughs> I, I, I did you did you find that react? I mean, I know you mentioned like some of the, like the reviews were a little like confused by the ending, but I just felt like it was kind of like a more muted reaction. That I think I feel like Carol became sort of a cult classic over the years, and now mm-hmm. I think it's been now it's seen as like the masterpiece that it is, like mm-hmm. era defining queer film. But I feel like at the time it it, it wasn't as highly regarded as it would become now i do agree with that i remember it being pretty muted but i just wanted to see more queer representation on screen and i saw david ehrlich's review and he can be wrong about them some stuff but he was completely right about this he was pushing it on his twitter and i was following him and i was like if david really likes it i think i should really really check this out and i got really excited but it was also because a lot of people on tumblr and i was really big on tumblr i was really into tumblr during that time tumblr really got into it i think there were some of the first first fans of carol were on tumblr and they would have the memes going and they had the where they brought up that they were the youngest people in this theater and this older couple right in front of them were had the wife turn to the husband say harold they're lesbians because they didn't realize it was a a queer movie so yeah so that's even still a joke in the fandom and that was from tumblr and I think because I saw the reactions from Tumblr and I even saw some, I think I saw some art and some people were doing like, like costume pieces because they loved the costuming that I was just like, okay, I really, really want to see this movie. So got to thank Tumblr also for really pushing it. Yeah. I mean, Tumblr, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like Tumblr is the root of a lot of, you know, cultural appreciations mm-hmm. of things that like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm probably maybe like four or five years older than you, but um, I feel like I was a little too old for Tumblr when it like mm-hmm. during this time. But now when I like look back to a lot of like the conversations that we're having and the movies that we appreciate, a lot of it comes back to like Tumblr and that like kind of like early fandom yes. that really got into things. And then like I think Tumblr then kind of bleeds onto Twitter, which bleeds onto yes. like Instagram and stuff. And 
So, I mean, it's truly amazing, like, how I feel like that Mm -hmm. Tumblr crowd is new, knows where to kind of, like, latch on to. And they're right. Exactly. You know, they're always right. (laughs) Exactly. It really, it really was. And I think Tumblr was also the ones that really started looking like bringing the screenshots in for aesthetics that now is now a thing. We now have this synesthetic guy who is also kind of a kind of porn addicted to yeah. be fair but right. but there's other stuff every frame of painting also takes inspiration from tumblr so yes we gotta thank them for that a bunch of the art a bunch of artsy students since bunch of artsy kids just really liked good movies and i'm so glad they promoted them and also the gifts are also a big part of that because i think the gifts that people would make of of scenes from trailers from from carol really act really pushed it and and once you see that movement between them, even with just no sound, I think the imagery, you're like, oh, I, I want to see this. Yeah. And speaking of the image, I just I love the cinematography of this movie. It's just so gorgeous. And it they brought up that um, I think it's Ed Weissman who did the cinematography and he's an alum from my grad school from film, oh wow from film studies yes yes ohio university go bobcats <laughs> and it's like he's probably our most famous alumnus over there and he was bringing up with them that they already knew to use 16 millimeter because they didn't want to use 35 because digital 35 looks almost indistinguishable now and they wanted people to know no this was shot on film so that's why they yeah. used the 16 millimeter and it almost looks like you're watching a, a 50s home movie. And I love that approach that they worked with that. And since they just got off Mildred Pierce, it was not that difficult to continue using the same cinematography and camera work they already were, camera stock they were using over there. Yeah, I mean, this movie has such a unique look to it mm-hmm. um, because it does have, yeah, like, it has that like 1950s look to it, but it also doesn't feel like overly like saturated or like, oh, like it's not a campy movie, which I think a oh. lot of, I feel like people would say like, okay, it's like a queer Todd Haynes movie about the 1950s. Like it's going to be a little campy. And like, I think Far From Heaven does have camp elements mm-hmm. to it a little bit more than Carol does. But yeah, um, but I, I love that this movie is feels more like, it does have like the vibrant like reds and greens of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And like, of course, like Kate Blanchett is like towering in the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it, it feels more naturalistic. It feels more grounded. And mm-hmm. uh, I love the call of saying mm-hmm. it's like home movies. Cause it does feel like, mm-hmm. like to me, this movie is like the click of the camera. Like this, mm-hmm. like the camera is such an important motif in the film and this movie feels like it's always just like capturing something through mm-hmm. like one of those old school lenses or like telescope things. Um, and uh, I just love, like, I love the scene of Carol and Therese first seeing each other at the at the toy store, yes. or the department store. Like, it does look like you're looking at someone through a telescope and just mm-hmm. like noticing someone in a crowd, and like you're like zooming in on them, even though it's a t- totally normal like um like uh it's a total it's a normal lens it's there's no mm-hmm. zoom in there's no spotlight oh. but mm-hmm. just somehow the cinematographer and Todd Haynes just like captured that feeling of like like obviously we know they're the stars of the movie but if we didn't know the stars you would still know that these are two important people that yes. are going to have an important story together 
Exactly. And I made a mistake. It's not Ed Weissman. It's Ed Lockman. Yeah. I, apologize. Oh. <laughs> I apologize, Ed, if you end up listening to this. Mr. Lockman, I'm so sorry. Oh, my I God. Love your work. <laughs> I, I apologize. Um, but... I just want to give some shout outs to Ed Lockman because he has done some incredible films. Like he's worked with Sofia Coppola. He's worked yes. with Mir Nair. He's worked mm-hmm. with uh, Steve Soder- Steven Soderbergh. And mm. he shot Desperately Seeking Susan. And, um, yeah, he's just a, an incredible, incredible filmmaker. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's Aaron Brockovich. I mean, he shot Aaron yes, Brockovich. That's right. like, and just, like, his, like, I mean, I love looking at the careers of cinematographers because I think they have the most varied careers, <laughs> you know? And so, like, yeah. Lockman definitely has gone from different genres, different filmmakers, mm-hmm. different countries. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, yeah, he's he's incredible. Um, and, and it's... And it's really Stan. Yeah. Yeah, and it says a lot about how how good he is at his work because now he he has someone else holding the camera for him because he now has disabilities, so he mm-hmm. can't stand for those long periods of time. He has to actually sit. So so that is actually that says a lot about still his craft and yeah. how he pictures and visualizes that he still gets hired even with his disability. That they say we're still going to accommodate you because you have you are just an incredible cinematographer and I trust your vision. And, and it's also a great opportunity for him with his disabilities that he's still able to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, it's just, he just has this, like, he's one of the cinematographers that I think knows how to shoot a film based on the genre, the tone, mm-hmm. the vision, the, you know, it's like, this movie like it just has this movie just has like the Carol look and like the Virgin yes. Suicide just has the Virgin Suicide look. Exactly. And it's like you can't they're not interchangeable mm-hmm. and they're totally unique. Um and even like within all of his work with Todd Haynes, like the mm-hmm. chaos of I'm not there versus the like very like horror film look of mm-hmm. uh, Dark Waters and the childlike mm-hmm. wonder of Wonderstruck, like yes. it's just so I mean, he just is yeah, I'm incredible. And like I'm I'm I love that he like continues to get work that Todd Haynes mm-hmm. still uses him. Mm-hmm. Um because it's just like he's yeah, irreplaceable in my opinion. He is he is and jumping off the camera, it's fascinating the change they made with the with between the book because in the book Therese wants to be a set designer and she wants to make sets for plays mostly and the dream is Broadway plays while in the film she's changed to wanting to wanting to be a photographer for the Mm. times so that just with the cinematography in there just adds it so well and the fact it's shot like it almost feels like a home movie at home video home movie at yeah. points that somebody made in the 50s so that was i thought that was a great great change in adaptation adaptation with that i um, love that change because mm-hmm. i feel like a photographer is just more cinematic of it a really is. career and i feel like it gives this movie that's jet like kind of overarching theme motif Mm -hmm. of cameras and looking and glances Mm -hmm. like this to me is like the ultimate glance movie because it's just like every little look is so meaningful and romantic and sexy exactly um, Exactly. yeah man that's uh, are there any other kind of like changes from the book or like 
any um, like major things you've noticed that were improved upon from the book or that was changed for the better or for the worse? From I think memory? Uh, another part that was better is that the book is entirely from Therese's perspective. So we don't really know much beyond what what Therese sees of Carol, what Carol's home like is like. So we don't get the scenes like in the movie where she's fighting for custody of her daughter and she's talking to her relatives saying she's going to the psychotherapist to try to try to be cured cured because back then that was considered immoral. And as it goes in the movie, it could be considered a way to have your child taken from you because it was considered a mental illness. And that was something that I'm sure Phyllis Nagy added and Todd Haynes totally approved of because Phyllis knew the original author, Patricia Highsmith, or she calls her Patty. And Patricia or Patty did go through the, a bunch of that through through psychotherapy and psychoanalytic analytical therapists who were obviously very much Freud was all the in at that time. You can see that a, a ton in in Hitchcock's films, which Strangers mm -hmm. on a Train, she published around the same time as The Price of Salt. That became with Alfred Hitchcock's film. Yeah. And she, Patricia Highsmith, she was considered a misanthropic. And she, it was interesting because she was a misogynist, but she desired women sexually and hated men sexually, but desired their friendship more. So that just that was the dichotomy with her. And she was self-hating, a self-hating lesbian who wanted to be cured and wanted to or thought to herself she wanted to be cured. And I could see that being put a bit in Carol's perspective, even though Carol, that eventual realization that that she actually wanted what she wanted, what she got with Therese is a very poignant moment that's not in the book and i really like that that it brings up that that i i had did that with therese because i wanted to as she said said not because not because of any moral just moral yeah. impropriety or anything like that and that's just a great scene and a great moment where where she finally where she says i want visitation rights was ready and you could take it or leave it but if you leave it will go to court and it'll get ugly and we're not ugly people hard and just the voice cracking with Kate. Yeah. And it's just, it's just such a great moment. And I love that moment. And it's not in the book because Therese is not there. So that had to be created whole like out of cloth basically, because that was what a lot of women like Patricia Highsmith faced, faced yeah. in the 1950s, unfortunately. Patricia Highsmith is a very interesting character to me. I don't, I don't really know that much about her i've never read any of her mm -hmm. books but i have seen a lot of the films like mm -hmm. stranger on a train i've seen that a million times you know yes. Tom, miss ripley of course ripley. and purple mm -hmm. noon and, and yes. you know carol of course um but i'd yes. love for you to like um like what you shared about her was so interesting is there anything else that you would like to share about her or any kind of observations um or anything that's come mm -hmm. up in your own research well one thing I think that should be brought up, but I'm sure a lot of people would have, or there might be some issues. And this was from a graphic novel I read about her writing Carol, which became the Price of Salt. She had to retitle it Price of Salt, which is a biblical reference 
to um, the wife of Lot seeing seeing behind her. If she wanted to see Sodom, she would have to pay the price of salt. So that was an interesting reference there. But she was very anti-Semitic. Patricia Isis, not Lot's wife. I would hope not. But and yeah. like she was, um, and she did. She was pretty racist but not as much of a racist as she was anti-semite which was interesting because for a time she worked at timely comics that became marvel comics and she knew with and was friends with the the creator of time the owner of timely comics nephew stan lee which was a very fascinating thing to learn that they were in contact. They knew each other. And she even thought about dating him for a bit because she was still trying to cure herself to have that sort of life her own mother did. But that just never happened because she hated sex with men. She, it was, uh, if you read on Wikipedia, she gives a very gruesome detail about it, what it felt like her, which is like, was like, like a metal sponge or barbed wire sort of sort of allegory thing and she's yeah she said if you don't like how i describe it imagine how i felt feeling it (laughs) and so she would have casual flings with women or she'd get up be obsessed with women she could venerate i guess you could say which i think does come with carol and therese therese kind of venerates carol because mm-hmm. because Therese is based off a young Patricia Highsmith who did work at a department store and saw a blonde woman with this with this fur coat, this mink fur coat, and was just dazzled by her. And that's how the story came out to be. One interesting factoid, she had a collection of snails. She would take snails to parties. And that's why in that movie with Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas that was on Hulu from last year that's why ben affleck's character owns snails because she put that in the book book that because because she loves snails she would she would um she would make snails snails mate reproduce and have hundreds of snails as pets yeah she's a very complex figure she is not the perfect lesbian I guess people kind of want she's not like Anne Bannon, who was a lesbian pulp novelist who wrote the 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 Bibu Chronicles, which are considered some of the most famous lesbian pulp fiction ever produced. And Price of Salt, when it was came out, it had to be under a pseudonym because she just published Strangers on a Train and they didn't want her name name on a lesbian pulp novel because that's what lesbian books were no matter how well they were written they were just they were pulp they were they was pulp fiction you would buy for 10 cents and just get from your from the local gas station or something like that in secret and you'd hide it and so that's why why a lot of for the longest time you thought you didn't think patricia highsmith and oh this lesbian novel mm-hmm. she was very guarded and of course, if people knew she actually produced the price of salt, they would probably also would have said, well, you can't sell strangers on a train then. And Albert Hitchcock is looking at it. So, right. so that must have been, it was very hard for her because she wanted her name on the book because she thought it was her best work she'd ever written. She already written 
hundreds. She already wrote so much stuff that had been published, short stories. Strange on a Train is her first novel that was published, even though she had several other novels that she's that she still had because novelists, they don't just write a novel and then send it and it gets published. They write several novels and maybe one will get published or mm. if you're very lucky. So there's just constant writing and there's so many novels on the back burner because a lot of them get rejected, unfortunately. And she right. had a ton of those. So, yeah, but she's a very fascinating figure. She kept so many diary entries. There's actually a huge over thousand page book on from her diary entries. Wow. So, yeah, she was it was so that's why it's surprising that she was so guarded with her life. She had very few friends. And then she just kept this diary with all her musings and all of these thoughts, these thoughts she had. So she's a very, she's a complex figure, but she's yeah. very fascinating. And I don't think we should begrudge her. I think we could still admire parts, facets of her while also, also not, also not being chill or cool with, with her anti-Semitism and her, and her racism, because Technically, I think she just hated humanity. She was a man misanthropic in general. So it's surprising that someone this misanthropic can make a love story this well. Well, I mean, that's a funny, I mean, not funny, but that's the interesting thing to me is that like all of this like self-hating and like wanting mm -hmm. to be correct, like wanting to like correct her like orientation, like that just does not come through at all in Carol. Like Carol mm -hmm. feels like a very... I mean, granted, I've never read the novel, so I shouldn't say anything. But the film, that it just feels so affirming. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, Kate Blanchett's performance is so self-assured. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even Rudy Mara, you know, as you said earlier, it's a coming-of-age story. And she comes into her own mm -hmm. in this film and really asserts her. I mean, I think even in the beginning, she's asserting herself against, you know, mm -hmm. her boyfriend and, yes. you know, the expectations of everyone around her. Um mm -hmm. And she becomes even more so throughout the film. And mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I just, I'm, it's so interesting to me because that, you know, she could write such a beautiful love story and yet have all these complicated relationships with her relationship with her own sexuality and her own mm -hmm. love affairs. And, you know, to try to like date someone to correct yourself. I mean, and, to, and like the, um, yeah, it's just fascinating to me. And I also fascinating to me that, you know, having to like hide, hide this novel because mm -hmm. of Strangers on a Train, because I'm like that, that movie is also super queer. <laughs> like, it really is. It really is. And so is, is uh, you know, Talented Mr. Ripley. Talented Mr. Ripley, like, yes. I've, her most famous works are have such queer subtext and mm -hmm. like potently queer subtext like screamingly mm -hmm. loud queer subtext that mm -hmm. i can't i mean it's it's just funny to imagine that none of this like i'm sure they were like queer people at the time reading these novels and seeing the queerness but at the time i'm sure like mm -hmm. studios and publishers were like oh no it's just about two men who want our you know, one wants to kill the other or become, you yeah. know, like they just didn't. But they, they just want to swap murders. He's right. totally just obsessive because <laughs> he plays tennis. See? Yeah. See? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just so. Uh, or like he, he just wants to become this other guy. Ripley just wants to become this other guy. Not because, yeah. not because he just wants to become him. He's not, he's not totally interested in him sexually like that. Right. Uh -uh, <laughs> uh -uh, uh -uh. <laughs> 
And um, it's just, uh, I mean, I, I, I just, I just find it fascinating. I mean, like, I agree that we shouldn't paper over her more troubling qualities and, you know, how that interacts with, you know, with, with her work is important, but also to appreciate someone who could be so complicated and deliver mm-hmm. such profound and moving work, even exactly. with all this, like, mis- I mean, because I don't think of this movie as mis- misanthropic at all. I think it's mm-hmm. very yeah. much a loving, warm, I mean, it's Christmas time, but it's such a warm, um, you know, sexy, intimate mm-hmm. film that it's just it's just wild to me. Um, I would also say a bit melancholic because yeah. I think it's one of those. There was this article I read. I think it was Katie Rife who may have written it. I might be wrong where she talked about it was the per- a kind of a perfect Christmas movie because it understands the melico- melancholy yeah. simmering underneath underneath the splendor splendor like when even bringing up that just like oh i love christmas time and you just get it and you just lose so much track of time you end up burning the turkey anyway because that just that just so resonates with with us like yes we want the the holiday we want these relationships be perfect but there's always this sense of melancholy that oh something's gonna go wrong undertone with that and that's and very few christmas movies really hit that note yeah and it's also like they're spending this holiday season kind of outside of Mm -hmm. that traditional you know the the turkey is such a great metaphor for it but it's like Mm -hmm. they're spending it outside this traditional holiday setting of like they're on the road they're in hotels they're two i mean two women who are like Mm -hmm. entering into a love affair Mm -hmm. um not in a family structure and even like um the attempts that carol makes to be more conventional just mm-hmm. she just her heart's not in it or it doesn't work out for her and mm-hmm. um i mean this kind of brings me to another kind of memory i have of this movie is um i think in 20 uh in 2017 like january i took a writing class just for fun mm-hmm. and there was this guy there who was like your typical you know straight white cis mm-hmm. like filmmaker type um and this movie came up somehow and I was just saying how like I think it's one of the best movies. Like I really loved it. And he was mm-hmm. like, I hated Carol. And Aww. I'm like, okay, look, I I understand that not everyone has their everyone has their opinions, not everyone's gonna love all the same movies, but like yeah. hating a movie like Carol just feels like and anti- like anti- antithetical to like being like a filmmaker. Cause like this movie has so much craft and so much like uh intelligence to it. Like I, I know. You know what I mean? Like, I understand not yes. liking it. Like, to hate it feels bizarre to me. But his take was that this movie is just, like, very mean to the men characters. They're kind of invalidated. They're not listened yeah. to, whatever. And um, I was like, you know, I I was just kind of, like, annoyed at this comment because I'm like, yes. that, like, this is the point of the film. But I'm not going to argue. So I just kind of was like, okay, whatever. But I think like as I like as I get older and the more that I watch this movie over the last couple of years, I feel mm-hmm. like I that's such a feature and like major like a selling point of this movie is how much yes. Carol and Therese live and Abby as well, like played by Sarah Paulson, like they live yes. so much outside of this like heteronormative patriarchy mm-hmm. and yes. they don't really care to cater to it. And mm-hmm. to me, that that's what makes this movie so queer and radical is that mm-hmm. like, these are two queer people, queer women who just 
like are living for themselves outside of whatever traditional expectations that are being set to them and not even caring about in fact like the men exactly feel, are like treated and, the way that like women treated are in action yeah. movies you know yes exactly <laughs> did he remember danny danny actually he's not a character he's not really a big character in the book they gave him an extra plot point to show that oh there is kind of a guy who's good because danny does kiss therese but then he apologizes because yeah. he realized he 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 went over bounds and he's one of the few that would understand her feelings about carol and actually probably would not judge her like richard does because richard very much very much is the homophobe and doesn't consider it natural which yeah. by the time was a very normal response because it was considered a mental illness at that time yeah i mean yeah i mean that's the whole like crux of the divorce is that like yes. she's not even fit to be you know uh, carol's not even fit to be a, a, a mother yeah. because of this like her you know uh affairs and her like predilections i guess yes but it's just so um yeah i'm sure he forgot I'm, i don't even believe he watched the movie to be honest no. <laughs> um, that guy because i'm sure he forgot about this danny character um but uh i just like i always think about that guy when i watch this mm-hmm. movie because i'm like that's it's this movie is about like not caring about the net and like yeah. Just like being like, you know what? I might I have yes. all these roles I'm supposed to play. I'm supposed to be the mother, the wife, the daughter-in-law, yes. the, mm-hmm. you know, the the fiance, the girlfriend. To be like so thrilled that you're gonna like take me on a trip, or mm-hmm. that you want to propose and live with me and stuff, or that like you're waiting to have sex with me even though you've had sex with other girls. Like I'm like yes, and and have, seeing all these things and just not caring and going on the road trip anyway to nowhere. And just like living life. Um, and that to yes. me is just so like, what's more radical and anarchic than just like living life? You know? I know. And it is it is implied that Richard looked down on the girls who slept with him because yeah, they got yeah. to bed with him. Right. And why he wants to marry Therese because she didn't go all the way with him, which is also another form of seeing women only in for only in terms of the Madonna yeah. whore complex, which yeah, he's falling right into that patriarchal trap right there. So he's not as good of a person as people think he is. No. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, listen, buddy, she's not having sex with you, not because she's pure, but because she is not attracted to you. No, exactly. And that's that being with Richard does make you realize because there are a lot of especially men who are who when a woman finally realizes, oh, I'm gay. And they think, and the men are just like, why didn't you realize this sooner? Because there are some women who come out later in life in their 30s, 40s, 40s, even later on, because a bunch of it is that we're told that, oh, we're not supposed to feel that like lustfulness towards men as men Mm -hmm. to towards us, or we're a bit more demure. We need to be a bit more loved to be able to feel that way. It's like, no, 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 you if you see a woman, like I would see a woman, like that woman is so attractive. It was just like, mm. or just like, or if I see like, there's this thing from Andy Stevenson, Nate, Nate Stevenson, before he transitioned with, when he was looking at these women in art, he was drawing the nude art. He would just be so bored looking at men like meh, but he'd be looking at the woman artists and drawing them and just being like, 
I really like the shape of her thighs. So shapely and artistic. I just need to draw that. Just keep drawing that. And so, and I'm pretty sure that was also, a, and that happens with a lot of women and a lot of yeah. lesbians. They don't really realize, or I feel there are a lot more bisexual women than most by than a lot of people realize because I think a lot more women are attracted to women than they than they expect because these feelings of of desire they probably think like oh it's just a phase that sort of thing like that because that's what we've been taught in Japan the romantic two girl relationship is still there and it's seen as a sort of passing phase you have have with another girl which unfortunately stigmatizes lesbian relationships in Japan because then they're just like, oh, you're an adult. You've grown up. You should get married to a husband because you're an adult now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I totally am in agreement with what you're saying. And I mm-hmm. find that like all these nuances about, I mean, yeah, because I find that it's such a different experience being like a, a queer man or a queer guy, mm-hmm. like in terms of like how, because um, I mean, I'm sure there are late in life, you know, people who come out or men who come out, but I feel like there's always kind of this thing of like, well, I did this when I was younger, but I just kind of ignored it or I got married yeah. because of like, that's, you know, you're supposed to get married to a girl. Then you come out when you're like 50. Yes. You know, I feel like that's common. And I feel like mm-hmm. with women, I I guess from like my anecdotal experience of what I've heard is that like, it, there's really, it's kind of this like sudden awakening or like more mm-hmm. of like a um, thing of, of like a realization. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I feel like that, like Therese has that in, mm-hmm. um, and I, I bet she also interpreted her kind of queerness as just being kind of like an outsider. Yeah. You know, like she doesn't fit into mm-hmm. the like poodle skirt 50s girl. No. You know, and I bet she was just kind of like, that's just, I'm just different. Like, that's how I'm different. Not yeah. like I'm different because of my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like in the much in the first part of the film, you don't really see her wearing wearing dresses. You we see yeah. her wearing slacks, and you mm-hmm. see her kind of wearing boyish clothing. Which I love the I love the the clothing from Sandy Pals. The costume design is yeah. amazing in this film, and I was, and I also think sometimes it's just you see the right woman because it was middle school for me when. I first noticed I couldn't stop staring at a classmate, at a girl classmate. And I was thinking to myself, do I want to be her or what do I want? Because I can't stop staring at her. And it's the realization that you're just like, in high school, that realization hit me. And well, eighth grade, it finally hit me almost through the end of eighth grade. And I was like, oh, oh, that moment, that realization I was actually more surprised I was also attracted to men because I thought I was ex- I was lesbian for, for a little bit. I'm like, oh, wait, there's some men I'm attracted to. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few, even though I'm more attracted to women than men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I wanted to touch a little bit upon um, the... Um, sort of like the... Uh, the like more like the like the romantic scenes the like 
the, mm-hmm. the sex scenes, the intimacy between Carol and Therese. Uh, because yes. I was wondering, like, when I watched this movie, I had this thought. Knowing that I was talking talking to you about this film, I kind of had this mm-hmm. thought that I hadn't really had before because of my appreciation and admiration for Todd Haynes. But I was wondering if, like, a you know, if Phyllis Nagy had directed this or, like, a, a queer woman, a bisexual woman or a lesbian woman had directed this film, like, what would it look like? Um, and should they have mm-hmm. instead of Todd Haynes, who he does have a queer lens, of course, but mm-hmm. is still a, a cisgender man. Um, mm-hmm. And I was, I just had to thought that I was like, oh, how come I've never thought of that before? Because I I watched this as like a you know as as a fan of Todd Haynes, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I was wondering if you had any thoughts about about that and like how he kind of depicts the like the like romanticism this the intimacy between these two mm-hmm. characters mm-hmm. i think because he is not feeling sexually attracted to anything he was directing on screen probably really helped with the comfort for them mm-hmm. but it also well if we think about it like in terms of a cis lesbian directing it we could always look at portrait of a lady on fire which yeah. i want to know how that guy felt about it considering there's barely any men in that film <laughs> so in fact when one pops up one pops up it's like a it's like a jump scare you're like oh what are you doing here it is one of my favorite parts of the film to be honest that guy just popping up out of nowhere you, you it feels terrifying i know just like oh god god's killer <laughs> but yes i think it's a part of i i think there is still this this taste it's still tastefully done and it's still very int and it's still very intimate and it does focus more on their faces than their bodies they yeah like there's laura mulvey discusses how the camera cuts the woman's head off because it's focusing on her body and not her face so literal objectifying mm-hmm. and todd does not really do that he very much has Rooney's face in frame he'll have Kate Blanchett's face he'll have one of their faces in frame it is not just like a close-up shot of a breast or or a, and when it was the thigh it was faded out it was a fading 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 out into the next scene so I think that really does help make it very much uh, a lot more tastefully done. And you can see the love they have for each other. And it helps that Kate Blanchett apparently was asked who her favorite co-star she ever kissed was. And she said, oh, Rudy Mara. That's <laughs> uh, just like, this is like, oh, they were having fun. They yeah. were definitely enjoying themselves. And that, and that organically is seen through the film. Like there are people who have issues with the handmaiden, but all the sex scenes in the handmaiden were directed by, by um, Park Chan Wook's assistant female director. And the, the actresses got to do more of what they wanted to do. That's why the scenes, even though they feel pretty explicit in the handmaiden, they are, there's still this coyness and still this, this laughter and like humorous side to it because the actresses became real friends. Yeah. Which, yes, I think that actually works to both films' benefits. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 always a tricky topic for me because I, mm-hmm. you know, men's sexuality is not depicted like this pretty much in mainstream movies no. at all. No, you know, the the closest we'll get is something like Broken Mountain, which has its own, you know, I mean that. 
That's and even pain. that that sex scene is looks pretty painful. Like yeah. you can tell he's pained. And I was like, oh. Yeah, and, and you know, usually there is that element of like it's it can't ever just be erotic for erotic sake. And there mm-hmm. has to be that element of like pain or like humor, but like not in like a playful way, but just like yes. sometimes like a wink wink haha kind of humor. Yes. Um, or it, like it, and so I, it's always tricky to me because I never know how to watch a a lesbian sex scene because I don't I like not that I don't know how to watch it but more so like I'm just not used to seeing men like that so it just feels no. very much like I can't tell what is like sensationalized versus like what is what feels like true intimacy like in the previous episode on this podcast we talked about Desert Hearts which has a very mm-hmm. intimate and very like powerful sex scene in the film mm-hmm. uh with my guest um Priyanka and I felt that I felt the way about that film the way that I feel about this movie is that like it captures the intimacy and the closeness and the romance of it without being too um leering or explicit and I think your point is really well said of like Todd Haynes is not leering at these actresses the way that a straight director, might, even a one that I really love and admire, mm-hmm. might, you know. And I, I, I did not know about The Handmaiden, um, which is, I think that, that that puts that movie into a whole new light for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, Disobedience as well was another film where actually Rachel Weisz and Rachel McAdams were told by the director, they were asked, do you want to direct your sex scene? Yeah. And they said yes, since apparently they came up with the idea of Rachel Weiss spitting in Rachel McAdams' mouth because it's, I mean, it's that's that is, like that is sex. It's just like it's the exchange of fluids. It's just that's what it is. And that's, yeah, and it and, really gets that. Yeah, and I mean, I think all four of these movies have sex depicted in very different ways. Like, mm-hmm. I think, like, yeah, like disobedience is like very messy and fluids and it feels raw and um and i love that it was the two rachels choreographing yes. that themselves because then yes to me it's like i I guess my fear is always like i just want to make sure that everyone participating feels comfortable and yes. in their own skin and in what they're doing and, and how they're being presented and i mm-hmm. i feel like the more power that's given to the actresses mm-hmm. the i think the better the film comes across because mm-hmm. that comfort comes through um and whereas like something like that's a bit more leering i feel like it can feel a little awkward and like um mm-hmm. and like uh what, what's the word i'm looking for like stayed i guess stayed, yes yes and i wish we had more of that for meh for for homosexual films yeah. i think the most recent one I've seen. It's not even a recent film. It's called this film called En Chat de Amor, A Song of Love by the mm-hmm. writer Jean Genet that really tech encapsulated and articulated gay male eroticism. Is that a, is that a French film? It is, yes. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I feel like Europeans are a little bit better at this. Yeah, because, and like, it was... Yeah. It was banned for so long because it was explicit and it was directed mm-hmm. in 1950s and oh, there's, oh wow yeah full there's full frontal there's no penetration but there are some sexual moments in there oh, and it find is those. very erotically it's i know it's on vimeo i highly recommend it yeah and i and it's kind of sad that one of the most awarded films dealing with queer culture homosexual culture is 
is Bohemian Rhapsody, where where it's the gay where the gay male um, um, sexualized scenes, um, romantic scenes are staged like seductions or 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 preying upon because Brian yeah. Singer directed it, and you could see it how those interactions happened with Freddie Mercury, where somebody somebody forced him or he forced someone else into that and you're just no this feels really really no this is that just adds more to the predatory gay man and we don't want that well not only that but also like to me Bohemian Rhapsody feels like a movie that was made by like the members of Queen who are like we need to look as like clean and pure and pristine as possible and Freddie Mercury is going to look as seedy and yes. <laughs> illicit and like underground as possible. Um, that's it's a, it's a total travesty of a movie, to be honest. But um, yeah, unlike Carol, which is you know I think a, a perfect movie start to finish. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, in terms of like, what are some of your favorite like moments from the film or scenes or, or lines? Mm-hmm. I've already said a few. I do love Flung Out of Space, which is from the original novel. And she does say say that for just where because if you actually read the novel, there are direct quotations from it. Phyllis Nagy adapted mm-hmm. to for the screenplay, like the Flung Out of Space. And they said, where are we? Waterloo. Isn't it awful? <laughs> That's actually from the book. And her and Carol even saying saying just like i wouldn't have gone out with gone out with a man if he had returned my gloves i'm much happier with this so that's really from the book and i love i and of course i love there's this i feel it's underrated but i love the scene between rudy mara and carrie brownstein and it's such a short scene in the book, it's longer because Carrie Brownstein's character actually flirts with Therese, and Therese, and that makes Therese realize she still loves Carol after mm. after her love confession, and and that's what propels her to go back to her. Which the movie does hint with her talking to her, even. But I think it was wise decision not to have have that full scene right there with the flirtation because. I don't think the audience really needed that to really for for us to realize that oh Therese is realizing she made a mistake she has to go to back to Carol, and of course the the opening scene that takes directly from Brief Encounter, from David Lean's Brief Encounter, which Tom uh, yeah. loves and mm-hmm. yeah and it's and from the POV you're looking through the POV of the random guy that that says Therese. And then you then you realize, oh, these are the main characters. You're, yeah. This is not the main character who was who were his point of view. The it's these two women right there, and it's and once you rewatch the film, you realize that scene had more res and just had was more poignant than it was when you first see the movie. I'm usually not a fan of in media res mm-hmm. like framing devices because. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's like a cheap way to like start your story with like in the middle or something interesting yeah. happening. And then you flash back and it's like, okay. Um, uh, I especially don't like it in, in television. Cause I, I think mm-hmm. it's an extremely cheap way to like make sure your like opening scene is like something of action. But mm-hmm. I, I think in Carol, I, I think that's a perfect execution of it because 
it does start with that, you know, side character and it does start with, you know, you don't really quite know what, whose story you're watching. Um, and I love, I, to me, I think this movie has an amazing ending. I think it's such yes. a romantic and happy ending because it's not like, it's not like we're seeing Carol and Therese like move in together and like start a life together. It's not like we're no. seeing even that we don't even see them like have like a final kiss or anything, but no. it ends on that like potential and the promise. Yes. And mm-hmm. it lets your mind kind of like write the ending of their story yourself, mm-hmm. which I think is more romantic. It's more, it's, it feels more like, or it feels less like handholdy of an ending. It feels mm-hmm. like, it it lets the it lets the audience really decide for themselves how the story ends, and to me that's powerful. And because and it's, I feel like Carol is a film that's not really just about like will they end up together, but more so like mm. can they just you know can they like um, how do I say this like can they really overcome their own insecurities and their own mm-hmm. anxieties? on top of the like pressures of the society at large. And mm. to me, this ending really supports that they, they could because their yeah. love is that strong. And so mm-hmm. I actually don't need to see them have a domestic life together or, or whatever. I just, to me, that, 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 that glance between them is kind mm-hmm. of enough. Yes. That final shot. And with Therese just slightly walking towards her. Yeah. Yep. And the camera f- moving forward towards towards carol and you're like and through through therese's pov yeah yeah like, yeah and i love that and it's just an amazing final shot and of course the score just really harps helps with that carter burwell did a fantastic job it almost looks sounds filled glass-esque yeah and it just works those those piano pieces work so well into it i think it's one of the best film scores of the 2010s yeah, I mean the like um the like opening kind of like the main carol theme mm-hmm. I feel is such an amazing like theme of music and um mm-hmm. I once read this review that I can never I will never forget, but it, it was basically like the score is so evocative that the minute you hear it, just like images of the film just come rushing into your mind. Exactly. And like it feels like you know, like I said, with like Edward Lockman's camera work, like this score, I feel like Carter Burwell's work in general feels like it's just so unique to each project. And mm-hmm. that like, this feels like the Carol soundtrack. And it's not like he can just like copy and paste different themes mm-hmm. wherever. It's like he created this for this movie and it only fits this movie. And it's yes. such a, in such a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. I know just us. Uh, so good and it's interesting because this film was also released the same year as another less another film which had which was gay film the danish girl which has def decidedly not aged well in comparison to carol yeah i mean i feel like the danish girl is poorly like the minute it came out (laughs) yes i did too i did too (laughs) Um, in fact, when you mentioned that, I was like, what movie came out in 2015? I totally forgot about The Danish Girl. Um, uh, see? See? <laughs> an Oscar-winning movie, which Carol was not. Um, that's kind of like the last thing I'm like, I wanted to bring up is the fact that like, I feel like this movie, like, I think because it has this sort of like radical like queerness mm-hmm. to it and it has this very like elliptical ending, 
I feel like that's why this didn't really mm-hmm. get the like best picture or best director nominations yeah. that it should have. And like it did well at the Academy, it got the expect, but I feel like a lot of the nominations feel like, oh yeah, let's just give the Kate Blanchett period piece the nomination. Let's let's costume it's a girl yes. movie, let's give the costumes a nomination. Like Yes, of course. Um but uh I really felt like it's a major snub to me that i i really did too i was very upset when it was not when todd haynes nor the film were nominated yeah for best director and best picture in fact i even saw this this tweet text somebody put up with their mother who was distraught that carol wasn't nominated oh. they're like like why is why isn't the film film with Kate Blanchett in the pretty in the pretty costumes nominated? Mom, Carol wasn't nominated for Best Picture. I liked it. <laughs> so I was like, but I liked it. <laughs> oh man, that's so, so funny. Just, I know. And it's just like, and I think a part of it was that they wanted with the Danish girl, the Danish girl is is a tragedy, basically. Was, yeah. So was Brookback Mountain. It's a tragedy. And I don't think they wanted to see and i think the academy was feeling especially the older members did not approve of the idea of a queer film without tragedy involved in it and which is why it was it's still radical today but i think that was and not just tragedy but just like any kind of like overt suffering yes. like I mean, this movie, like, I feel like the more I watch it, the more I'm like, yeah, I mean, their life is hard, and, like, they do, she goes through a lot, Carol, but mm-hmm. it's not like she's, like, dying, or, you I know, know. And ultimately she does kind of figure out a way to get what she wants and what she needs from life and to have her happy ending until, yes. you know, and I feel like that's just, I mean, I agree. I, I think it's, like, I don't think people knew how to accept a queer happy ending like this especially one that's not like overtly feel good you know it's not like exactly you know carol and hards become like best friends and like they're like you know happy big happy family that's not married or like you know it's not like we again like we don't see that major feel good happy ending between carol and therese and i think it's to the film's credit because it doesn't need it but i also feel like i can imagine someone like walking home from the movie being like but what did i actually watch (laughs) You know, it didn't I have know. an ending. Like um, I know some of those, they don't like those open and ended endings. And I'm just like, yeah. well, some of them are great with that. We don't really know what happens at the end of the birds. And yeah, that's right. why it's so great. There's no ending. Yeah. No ending. Some films just You stop. don't need to know the ending, you know, or you exactly. don't need to see the ending. You can create the ending for yourself. And it, to me, that's what was more powerful to me is yes. the, like, the promise of the ending. Um because to me showing i feel like ending the movie with carol and trez outside of that restaurant it would just it would just kind of lose that like fantasy specialness of their time together you know i don't want to see them in the real world like arguing about like rent or i know you know know, having to be in that big apartment yeah apartment (laughs) that carol got but and that's how the book does end because the book does end on that open on that open yeah open-endedness and that's what it's supposed to be because that's it's for people to start using their critical thinking skills and actually imagine it for themselves and this was also for the oscars this was pre the big oscars so white yeah well during that time 
it was during yeah. that time that the Oscars So White was happening. So most of the voting voice for base for the Oscars were white cis hetero men. Mm-hmm. And I think they probably agree with what your classmate thought. There's like, it's too mean to the men in this movie. And I don't like that. I feel unappreciated by it then. Because white men feel feel very angry when things are not about them sometimes. Yeah, believe <laughs> yeah. me. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like Carol is such a good like um, example of that because this movie is really not about men's desires at all. You know, exactly. It's, it's in in a way that feels very like like it's not even like that commented on. I mean, it is a little bit, but it's not like you know. There's nothing where Carol's like, you know what? I'm just gonna stop caring about men. It's just like how she's living her life. Oh. Exactly. And how she wants to live her life, and how Therese wants to mm-hmm. live her life as well. Um, exactly. Kind of like before we finish up here. I mean, mm-hmm. I can imagine. I know the answer to this, but who kind of who gives your favorite performance in the film of the entire cast characters? I know a lot of people would probably say Kate Blanchett, but. I really love Rooney Mara's character. Mm -hmm. I really love her acting. I mean, she won the Palme d'Or for Best Actress that year. Yeah. That it came out. And and I feel it was very egregiously snubbing to put her in the Best Supporting Actress category. And then she still even lost to Alicia Vikander in The Danish Girl. I know. To add to to that. Because she is the lead. She is. And it's her story. And... A lot of people be like, oh, she's so calm. She's so demure with that. But it's like, and she has, and she does. She has a very kind of Audrey Hepburn-ish quality, which was brought up in a Q&A. Q&A, it was when discussing when she, that she was in, she said, oh, people have said that, that I have this Audrey Hepburn quality to me. And now she's going to play Audrey Hepburn. And Audrey Hepburn had that demure acting quality yeah. that could be very subtle. And yeah. Rudy just really gets it. And she gets those subtleties very well. And it's just, it's a penetrating performance after that. Once you, because once you have the demureness and then after Carol leaves her, she's just sobbing in the car, car after it all ended. And you feel for her. You just want to hug her. And I just love that moment. I love Rudy's performance. And yeah, and I thought she got really shafted for all that awards consideration. I think this is probably her best acting work besides maybe Ain't Them Body Saints, which was pretty good too. And of course, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to put, I I mean, yeah, between Dragon Tattoo and this movie is her best performance. Although I feel like she still has, her best in her like i'm excited i'm always excited when she's in a movie um you know she knows how to eat a pie yes and a ghost (laughs) story i forgot to mention that one like i can't forget that other david lowry film you know we love that the 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 amazing pie i mean it's kind of like i wish i could get paid to eat a pie in one sitting like that's just like an amazing job I know. I feel like I feel like with all at least it was a long take because I was like, yeah. oh god, if that was like separate takes because there's a reason they have the food buckets on the side that they had to do several takes because they're not actually eating it; they are spitting it out because they have to do multiple takes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I think I mean I really agree about Rooney Mara. I think this is a wonderful performance from her, and I think one that really 
stands out more and more i think as you watch the film over and over yes. again because it, i it's easy i think to kind of write her off as like demure or not doing much or too quiet but mm-hmm. you know, the you the more you see the film the more you catch the subtleties and the mm. um sort of the the like hidden depths of the performance and and i and i um, and I, I think she really shows how much she comes into her own. I mean, Therese, mm-hmm. how much she she shows how much Therese comes into her own throughout the film in a really beautiful way. Because again, there's no like big monologue or anything. It's just very natural. No, um, exactly. Uh, but I, you know, I, I do think this is probably my favorite Cape Blanchett performance. I mean, Tar is Tar. Like, I oh, think it is. It's I like know. you know, it's, I, I think she, you know, as someone who is one of the most acclaimed actresses. I think she really topped herself in Tar. I mean, it's I've never seen her doing yes, like that before. I know. But... I mean, <laughs> she won the she won the Kate Blanchett Award for good acting. Yeah, <laughs> acting for that role in Tar, deservedly uh-huh. so. <laughs> but um, Tar was fantastic. Uh, I yeah. loved Tar. It was probably my favorite film of last year. So. I mean, for sure. And like I've, I, I watched it again. Like I, I, I bought it. And I watched it, and I was just like, "Man, this movie is just like, I, it just reveals more and more as as you watch it and think about it." Um, I mean, yeah, I love Carol. I love Cinderella. Notes on a Scandal, of course. Mm-hmm. The Aviator, of course. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, she's. I mean, I don't need to say this. She's an amazing actress, and she has a lot of amazing roles. But I think Carol. I think because Carol kind of like has a. It kind of got a life of its own, you know, through the Tumblr mm-hmm. fandom, and now as it's mm-hmm. become this like called classic, it's like bounces back mm-hmm. and forth between Netflix and Tubi. So I feel like it's always available for people to watch. Um, so I feel like it's really, yes, uh, it's become I think a defining role for her and uh, one that I, you know, appreciate and and love to watch over and over again. Um, kind of. So, do you have any final thoughts on Carol? Anything else you wanted to bring up? Any kind of moments or themes you wanted to mention before we finish up here? I could talk for hours, so probably I probably should not <laughs> because I I just love this movie so much. It's one of my favorite movies. So, but yes, it's just it's one of those iconic films that we don't really get anymore, and if we do. They don't really promote them. I mean, I saw in the box office receipts this had eleven million dollar budget and it made forty two million, which it still made its money back. But yeah, now we can barely. That just seems like a pipe dream now. The idea of, of films like this, that films that truly resonate with us and that stick with us, they're they're disappearing, and it's and it's sad. It, you're just you're watching it. And yeah. you just know, rewatching Carol just reminds me of that. It reminds me of why we watch films in the first place to realize that our feelings and our human experiences are similar or the same, or to step into the shoes of someone we don't even really know, and we can actually actually understand what what people who are queer go through in their lives and how they had to go through this in the 50s to to survive and it's just it's just such an important important seminal film in in queer film canon and i'm just 
Uh, it's being eradicated and I don't want it to be. I want it to keep going. I want more films like Carol to come out and because they exist, they should be there, but we need more support for those films. And I'm just glad yeah. we also still have Carol and I'm glad it's freely available, even though I actually got the Blu-ray copy because the Tubi and Netflix copies looks a little too grainy. Mm. And I'm just like, I know this was shot on film, but this is a little too grainy. I can't yeah. really see Sarah Paulson in this shot right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually got it on Blu-ray when I saw it used. I was like, mine now. Because uh, one of my friends is waiting. She keeps waiting for Criterion to or or maybe even Arrow to be like, okay, is Carol being announced? Is Carol being announced? Because Todd Haynes has his movie has the movie safe on the Criterion collection. So yeah, so that's why she's I mean, like, there's hope. Uh, yeah. I mean, Criterion needs to really dig into Todd Haynes, like Velvet Goldmine needs uh, a release. I know. Uh, I know movie, movie got Heaven. the rights. Yes. Oh, Far yeah. From Heaven got Kino, a Kino blue release. Oh, that's so right, I'm glad right. for that. Okay. I'm glad for that. And, but yeah, which is like, please, but I feel like there's also, I wonder what, if, if someone who has the vault for the, Weinstein's films because oh, yeah. this was a Weinstein film and I'm glad he let they let Todd do what they wanted because originally when they had another queer film with queer subtext Frida with Samba Hayek um um Weinstein Bob Weinstein forced her into doing very uncomfortable lesbian scenes with Ashley Judd that she, that wasn't in the script because yeah. he was angry that she wouldn't go out with him or something like that. And I'm glad that that Todd Haynes was able to be like, nope, nope, I was keeping this away from Weinstein. It's they were just like they distributed it. That was about it, I think. So so I'm glad with that. But I wonder if because of that, they're having issues getting getting the publishing rights for it. So I wonder if that's playing a part. It's certainly possible. I mean it, it's yeah. it's crazy to think about like the decisions and paperwork and contracts mm -hmm. and licenses that go along with you know distributing film um and I how know. much like you know like how i'm you know just like how things are so easy to like kind of get lost in the shuffle because of you know all these constraints and yes and obligations um mm -hmm. but i i mean i agree with you it's kind of my final thought like i I feel like Carol, it was a hit at the box office according to its budget. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it made almost like four times its budget, which is crazy mm -hmm. to think about for a movie like I this. Know. And in 2015, up against, you know, Star Wars and, and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, but I, 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 what I love about Carol and something that I also feel like it's, it's getting lost a little bit these days is mm -hmm. that you know, Carol was able to find its audience and it was able to grow mm -hmm. its reputation over the years. And mm -hmm. it's had this amazing run of becoming a movie that was sort of well-liked, but kind of disregarded for a bit. And then, you know, thanks to all the, thanks to all the different means in which people are discovering film, whether yes. it's Tumblr or Tubi or Netflix or just you know, even the writings of David Ehrlich and, yes. you know, um, just oh, people are able to, like, find films and discover them. And, uh, you know, that the Carol can feel relevant and mm -hmm. powerful. I mean, not that it's that old, but no. I feel like nowadays, like, you know, if movies kind of come and go and you don't really see a lot of life for them after. 
you know, exactly. after their initial runs or after that like two week streaming window that everyone's watching them and stuff. So it's just like I it's a special mm-hmm. movie and I really appreciate yes. how much it's how much it's grown and found its found its place in the, in like the mm-hmm. queer canon and the Christmas yes. canon and the Cape mm-hmm. Blanchett canon. Like yes. it's just, it's such a it's such a beautiful intersection of all these mm-hmm. different um, you know all these different like um uh like target audiences mm-hmm. and and different like genres and and fandoms and stuff so i mean i'm so 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 glad that you suggested this film i mean i oh, i really I, I really am so happy to have you on the podcast uh please let the listeners know where they can find you what you're working on and just kind of anything you'd like to share oh right so you can find me on Twitter at raspberryraz.com. You can find me on my on my personal WordPress at mollywoodwrites at wordpress.com. And you can also find some of uh, most of my writing on the film stage where I've done some trailer write-ups and I did and I've done a, re- a review and I've also contributed to their annual best films of the year list. And I'm always excited to get to contribute to that. And I will ask ask one more question did you watch the netflix trailer they had for carol for we wish you a meryl mary carol miss where no. netflix hired netflix hired these chorus girls to sing a remix of we wish you a merry christmas but was but with carol and its themes from the film itself <laughs> and i was just like oh, that is oh wow so to me i love that I know, and I'm like, right when Netflix was actually, instead of promoting their own movies, they were promoting the movies they would get on their platform that they were just like, ooh, people want to see Carol. We love this movie. So let's do a little We Wish You a Merry Carol, Miss. <laughs> That's great. I mean, Netflix really did a lot for Carol because it was on it was on Netflix for years, I feel like. And now, I mean, it was, I feel like, like I said, it goes back and forth between Netflix and Tubi, and I feel like you know, I feel like people really discovered that movie on on Netflix. Like, I really strongly believe that. So I'm I'm not surprised they put the money into it because it's like I don't know. I just it, I feel like it found a lot of its audience through that platform. Exactly, and I'm sad that they were moving a bunch of their a bunch of those films to put their own films in there that are not as good. And then when yeah. they buy, they buy expensive films from film festivals and then they rarely promote it at all and you're just come yeah, on I mean, netflix i found out on. that todd haynes's new movie is going to netflix and i'm like well there goes the oscar campaign there yes. goes the audience like it's we'll, we'll see what happens when it comes out but it's uh i was disappointed that he went with netflix to be honest i know but at least netflix will give them give them the chance to to actually it will give them the chance at least to to um to do what he wants i guess that's also why Martin scorsese went with apple because right, apple would yeah. let them do what he wanted and why he also directed the irishman for netflix oh and uh, the it's called it's called on for netflix behind the scenes on youtube it's called i saw carol aired by carol and therese sing-along <laughs> <laughs> yes Oh man, I love that. So I highly recommend the listeners check that out because it is a joy to see if you've never seen it. And back when see it when Netflix actually promoted films that were on their platform because they were good and not because they were made in-house. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Thanks for for, for those recommendations. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at vertigate three one four. Also, please follow the podcast at Impod to Be You, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, next month, we are continuing with the queer romance miniseries, uh, which. which we're in the final stretch. It's the, it's the last two months of that, so I'm um, excited to see what my guests come up with for that. Um, I cannot thank you enough, Molly, for being here and for sharing all of your research and insights and thoughts about the film, Carol. So thanks so much for being here. And listeners, thanks for listening. Thank you. And oh, and an early happy Merry Carolmas, wherever <laughs> you are. <laughs>